0: good evening everyone great to see you tonight has anyone seen this movie anyone seen this movie Hacksaw Ridge yeah it's the true story of Desmond Doss who was an army medic and a devout Christian who was the first or the only uh, American soldier during World War two to refuse to carry a weapon on the front line. He made this decision as an adolescent uh, because a a gunfight between his uncle and his father swore him off guns. But at training camp, he was treated as an outcast by the rest of the recruits who believed that he would be a a major liability in battle not carrying a weapon. And so they subjected him to psychological and physical abuse. They beat him up. They made his life a hell. But during the second bloodiest battle in World War II in Okinawa, Japan, uh, with nothing to protect him except his Bible and his faith in God, uh, this is what he did. Let's take a quick look. You're like gum on a shoe, ain't you? Give me this. It's a bit late for target practice now, don't you think? (laughs) Jump on it. You're kidding. I'm going to drag you. Let's do it! Ready? Yeah! Let's go! We got company! Come on! Arms up! you got to be kidding me, Cornstone. You're kidding me, trying bowline, boy, not building a bra. Come on. Ready? Uh huh. Get up! No! <laughs> 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 Yes, Sergeant. Sergeant, now! Dawson's still up there. What the hell? He's got chaps on his tail. So Desmond Doss repeatedly ran back into enemy lines, behind enemy lines, uh, facing that fierce artillery fire. And he single-handedly carried, wait for it, 75 wounded soldiers back to safety many of whom were those that had beaten him up beat him up and made his life a hell at training camp 75 times he went back each time he saved a man's life he would pray this prayer out loud please lord help me get one more he was wounded by a grenade and by sniper fire and he spent the first five years after the war recovering from his injuries and he was the first conscientious objector to win the highest military honor. Uh, what I loved about that clip was not the technical difficulties but what I loved about that clip was the way those guys stared at him. As he's, as he's walking Back, they just stared at him with admiration and awe. They did not expect that. They labelled him a coward because he would not take a gun, but that is what he did. But just imagine for a moment if Desmond Dobbs had dodged sniper fire not just to rescue soldiers from his own side, but what if he had dodged sniper fire to rescue? The wounded from the enemy from the Japanese and taken them to safety how do you think they would have looked at him then because giving your life for those on your side is an incredible thing but giving your life for your enemies is quite another right now we just heard in our Bible reading that that's exactly what Jesus Christ did he gave his life for his enemies for for those who are actually trying to kill him and because christ died for his enemies we're going to see today in our passage we can have peace and hope in the present and we are guaranteed glory with god in the future What does that mean? What does that involve? Well, let's let's take a look together. Now we're studying the book of Romans. Uh, we're well into it now, and the book of Romans is worthy of personal study, and of deep personal study. And so we started a bookshop out in the foyer, and we uh, stocked it with two books. We're going to begin with two books, which will give you an opportunity to read more deeply. These are books that the pastors uh, trust and so here here's a couple of here the two books so the one on the left is called Romans read mark learn it's out of St. Helens Bishopsgate in London the other is Romans for you by Tim Keller and so there'll be copies out on the table outside if we run out then we will order them in for you and I really recommend that uh, if you'd like to do some further reading this is where to start Also, we're going to be supplying weekly questions for those who would like to do Romans in their small groups. And so you just need to go online. Uh, Up the top, you'll see resources. Then you'll go to small groups for small groups. And then down the bottom, the next uh, option is sermon-based Bible studies. And if you'd like to do that in your small groups, we've made that available for you. Uh, And the format that I've prepared is there'll be some kicking-off questions to get you thinking, then some digging deeper questions as you go through the text, and then some think-it-through questions as you reflect on what does that mean for your life. Now, so we're in Romans. We're up to chapter 5, and Romans can be helpfully divided into four sections, just so you can get your head around the structure of the book. There's the introduction, and then we've just finished last week section 1, the heart of the gospel. And today we begin in chapter 5, Living the gospel. Living the gospel. And today there are three points in the message. First one is this. God has justified us in the past. In the past he's justified us. And we see that in verse 1. Have a look with me in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. You see, in the heavenly court, the evidence is condemning And the verdict is clear. I'm guilty before God, and I deserve God's punishment. But while I'm standing in the dock, awaiting my sentence, Jesus Christ walks up to the dock. He gently moves me aside, and he stands in the dock in my place. And he says to the judge, I will take David's guilt. Punish me. Put all of David's sins on me. Put all my righteousness on David. Let David reign in heaven. Let me suffer on the cross. Give David my blessing. Let David give me his curse. And the judge brings his hammer down and he looks at me and he says you are not guilty you are declared righteous because of Christ that is justification that is justification that is being justified justified means to be declared righteous to be declared righteous while But there's a difference between being forgiven and being justified. Do you know that difference? It's the difference between being forgiven and being justified. Forgiveness is the cancelling of a debt. Wrongdoing always produces some sort of debt between people. And forgiveness is declining to call that debt in. But when God justifies us, he doesn't just cancel the debt and bring our ledger to zero... No, he clothes us with his righteousness so that God now looks at us with the same love and affection that he looks at his own son. That is justification. The guilt that was ours, he has taken away on the cross and replaced it with a righteousness that was not ours. Amen? I've tried to summarize that in this picture so justification by faith god and his grace is the source of our justification christ and his cross is the basis or the grounds for our justification and faith is the means of our justification it's how we appropriate appropriate that to ourselves So God has justified us in the past. And the second point is God gives us peace and hope in the present. See, God doesn't just say to sinners, you may go, I let you off. What does he say? He says to us, you may come. You are welcome to all my love and my presence. The judge invites the criminal home to live with him. We see that in verse 11. That that concept is reconciliation, isn't it? We also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Justification is our legal standing with God in the law court. Reconciliation is that personal relationship with God our Father in the home. And because we've been justified in the past, we now have reconciliation in the present. Justification secures our reconciliation. Uh, Reconciliation is the restoration of relationship. Uh, Another way of saying it is saying that we have peace with God. That's what Paul says in verse 1. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace here that Paul's speaking of It's not talking about, it's more than just a ceasefire between two parties that still hate each other. You know, like Israel and Palestine, there's peace often, but it's only because there's a ceasefire and they still hate each other. No, the peace that we have with God is a restoration of relationship. The state of hostility that was between us and God because of our sin and God's wrath has now ended because of Christ Christ and God invites us home. Paul goes on, he says, through Christ we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. There's been a transfer. You see, we as if you're a Christian, you have been redeemed out of the old realm, the old kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. We've been redeemed out of that old realm through the cross and the resurrection of Christ, and we have been transferred into the new realm, the realm of the Son. And so no longer is there hostility with God, we have peace with God. No longer are we without hope, but we have certain hope. No longer are we ruled by law, but we are ruled by grace. No longer are we dominated by the flesh, but we are empowered by the Spirit. And no longer are we condemned to eternal death, but we are destined for eternal life. See, everyone in the world is born into that old realm. And there you remain unless you are born again. You put your faith in Christ and you are transferred into the new realm, the new kingdom. Paul says, verse 2, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Humans can live 40 days without food, 8 days without water, 4 minutes without air, but only a few moments without hope. Is that right? Now the word hope is used outside the Bible to mean something like, I desire something good to happen in the future, like I hope it doesn't rain on my wedding day. Right, But in the Bible... Hope is a confidence about the future. It's a certainty about the future. Because we've been justified, we have certainty that when this mortal reality falls away with all its sickness and, and, and weakness and frailty and sin, we have confidence that we will be with our God in glory in the arms of Jesus Christ secure in his love forever that is a certainty but paul acknowledges we still experience pain and suffering in this world don't we what is to be our response what is to be our response well paul says we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope Now, I don't pretend to understand fully how we can rejoice in our sufferings. But it has something to do with hope being like a muscle, is what I think Paul's saying. If you don't use it, you lose it. You see, if life had no trouble at all, then there would be no yearning for the new age. And that new age would just be a distant truth And it would not influence the way we lived our lives one bit. But see, what suffering and pain do is that they ease our hold on the things of this world, don't they? They strip away the distractions of this world that parade as important. And they give us a yearning to be with Jesus. And that yearning brings ever deeper convictions of the certainty and the reality of our hope. There was a woman named Betty, and she was dying of cancer. Uh, And she had a terrible time of trying to find the balance between controlling her pain, but also being lucid enough to be able to enjoy her family. And one weekend, somehow the balance got out of whack, and she was in a lot of pain. And she was sitting around with her family, a Christian family, and the family read together Psalm 100. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And she gazed at her family around her and she said with a smile and a profound peace, these words have never meant so much as they do right now see her suffering had produced such a hope in future glory that it gave her peace and joy in the midst of her pain the hope that we christians have brings peace despite our pain we can have peace in a world which you know where we have disaster and disappointment and disease where they're still so prevalent but we can have peace see suffering and then glory was the pattern of the lord jesus of his life and it is the pattern of those who follow him but christ is with us in our suffering isn't he he's with us in our pain i love this cartoon i've i've held on to this cartoon for a while i haven't used it but i wanted to use it today look at this cartoon. God, please protect me. Oh, why God? Why? Huh? I'm sorry, did I miss one? Are you all right? Christ is with us in our pain and he knows what we're going through. So how can we be sure that our hope is not just wishful thinking? Uh, You know, if you're not a Christian, there are people out there that think it's just wishful thinking. How can we be sure that it's not wishful thinking? How can we be sure that our hope will not disappoint us? Paul's sure. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, hope does not put us to shame. It's not going to disappoint us. It's not just wishful thinking. How can we be sure? Well, Paul gives two main reasons. We have proof of God's love on the cross in the past. And in the present, God pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Have a look at what he says. Verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly be prepared to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us. Now what does that mean? What does that actually mean? God loves us. Is it the same as my love for my wife? When I say I love you to my wife, I mean something like this. You mean the world to me. I couldn't think of life without you. Your your beautiful smile, your playful nature. I adore it all. Everything about you, I adore. I love you. God says to us, I love you. Is that what he means? Your nature, your beauty, I adore. Your smile, your wit, I adore. Your morals, your behavior. Everything about you, I adore. I love you. Now, when God says he loves us, he means something like this. Your sins made you revoltingly ugly in my sight. Morally speaking, you were odorous, obnoxious, sickening. You lived as my enemy. But I loved you anyway. Not because there was anything attractive about you, but because I chose to love you. I spared no expense and I gave you what was most precious to me, my own beloved son. And now I look upon you with the same love and affection that I look upon my own son. That is the love of God described in the Bible. To die for your enemies is a love that goes beyond the deepest sacrifice known to humans. Isn't that right? We were God's enemies when we rejected Christ, when we rebelled against him. But God died for us when we were his enemies. And the proof of that love on the cross means that our hope will not be put to shame. Secondly, Paul says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want nothing more to let my wife and my kids know that they are loved. And God wants nothing more than to know, for us to know that we are loved. And God's love is poured into our hearts right in, in the present. And God's love is conveyed to our senses. And, and so we experience it deeply, emotionally, internally. It's like a child walking along holding his father's hand. The child is happy, he is secure, his father loves him, he knows it's true, it's pleasant. But as they're walking, the father bends down and sweeps that child up into his arms and with unspeakable warmth and affection, holds that child close to him, kisses that child on the neck and says, I love you so much. The father then holds the child out at arm's length so... He can look at the child in the face and he says to the child, I'm so glad you're mine. And then again, with unspeakable warmth and affection, he holds that child close, put the child down, and they continue to walk. Now, the child is stunned. The child is so happy. He thinks, my father loves me. What a great father I have. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit sweeps us up into an unspeakable joy as we experience in our hearts that to be a child of God is the greatest thing in the world. Have you experienced that? To have the objective truth of God's love without the subjective ministry of the Holy Spirit, will leave God's love a theoretical truth, right? But to have subjective feelings without the anchor of the cross will deprive our assurance of any stability because we'll be at the mercy of our feelings. But we have both the proof of God's love in the past on the cross and we have God's love poured into our hearts in the present And that's why we can be sure that our hope will not disappoint us. Our hope in Christ will never disappoint us. Final point. God guarantees glory for us in the future. Have a look at verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more... Shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? We Australians know the danger of bushfires, don't we? Uh, And it's a danger that the American pioneers also knew as they were moving across the country looking for new land. And the prairie grass could grow higher than a man, and during the summer months, the grass was incredibly dry and dangerous. And the summer storms were often dry, lightning, no rain. And when the lightning struck the dry grass, it would ignite and then it would race faster than a man could run and also certainly faster than the the wagons that they were travelling in could manoeuvre. On one occasion, the pioneers are moving across the country and they see smoke on the horizon and they and they realize very quickly that there is a fire coming their way rapidly the leader quickly says to the to the group right let's stand with our backs to the wind the leader then lit a fire which went before them and after some time there was an area where they could all stand with their wagons confidently facing the fire That came that was coming towards them a little girl cried out as the fire came towards them she said how can you be sure that we will not be burned and the leader said to her the fire cannot reach us here because where the fire has burned it will not burn again fire does not burn in the same place twice That's what Paul is saying. God's fiery judgment is coming on those who reject Christ. And no one can outpace it. But there's one place, place where the fire has already burned. There's one place where God's judgment has already scorched. And where's that? At the cross. God's fiery judgment has burned itself out on Jesus Christ. And so those who are in Christ are safe forever because the fire will not burn in the same place twice Paul goes on verse 10 for if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son how much more there's that phrase again how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life Let's say a significant other in your life decides they're going to buy you a car for your birthday. Does that sound good? Not just any car, they're going to buy you a $100,000 car for your birthday. And in fact, they pay that $100,000 up front. All that's left to do is, on your birthday, pick you up, drive you to the yard... Pick up the keys and sign a form. That's all that's left. Now, how sure would you be that that person who's already paid the $100,000 for the car, how sure are you that that person's going to pick up the car? Pretty sure. Why? Because they've already done the hard part, which is to pay the price. There's only the easy part left, which is to pick up the keys and sign a form. God has already done the hard work of paying the price on the cross when we were his enemies. There's no question that he will do the comparatively easy job of saving us on the last day. Now we are his children. That's Paul's logic. How much more can we be sure? We can have complete assurance. When the great evangelist Billy Graham came to Australia, he was interviewed, this is the best picture I could find, I think it's the only one on the net, he was interviewed by Mike Willisey, who was a leading journalist at the time in Australia. Mike Willisey, he had a Catholic background, but he kind of, he'd left his, uh, the religion of his upbringing. He said to Billy Graham, Can you be certain of going to heaven? Without hesitation, Billy Graham said yes, because of Christ. Now, Mike Willisley was stunned. He said, how can you be so certain? The phones ran hot. How can Billy Graham be so arrogant to think that he is so special and he can be sure he's going to heaven? Who does Billy Graham think he is? He's someone who understands Romans 5, isn't he? I want to finish with this. There are three groups of people here today. Those who are secure and sure. Those who are secure but not sure. Those who are not secure. If you understand Romans 5... And you've taken that for yourself, and you've put that, your faith in Christ, you know that God has justified you in the past. You experience God's peace and hope in the present. You know that God guarantees glory for you in the future. You are secure, and you can be sure that you are secure. Some of you are secure, but you're not sure. You've been justified, but you lack assurance. Can you see today that you can be sure that you are secure? And in a group this size, there will be some here today that are not secure. You have not submitted to Christ as your king yet. You have not yet put your trust in Jesus as your savior. That is a very dangerous place to be. But if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus today, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the great truth that we have just explored. And we thank you for Romans chapter 5, that we can be sure that we are secure. And I pray, Lord, for each of us, that that would be the case, that we would be sure that we're secure. Those who who lack assurance, I pray, Lord God, that they would understand what you have done for them in the past. And the fact that you've died for us when we were your enemies, how much more will you save us now we are your children? Please, Lord, give us your assurance. Lord, I want to pray for those today who are not secure, they haven't yet put their trust in you please lord draw them to yourself show them the truth of the gospel if that's you this evening i'm going to give you an opportunity right now to call on the name of the lord the bible says call on the name of the lord and you will be saved you might want to pray this prayer with me in your heart dear god i call on your name I need your salvation. I submit to you as my king. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, please let us know.